0: You are listening to The Current Daily, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, June 10th, and we're about halfway through finals week, week 11. Don't forget that tomorrow we've got Lunch and Learn at High Noon with Paul Kruger. He'll discuss how to give a boring PowerPoint presentation. Get all the info you need from the notice board on The Current. Also join us for the mini all-hands at 2.30 p.m. It really is incredible that we were able to so rapidly shift to remote teaching, learning, research, and work back in March. Spoiler alert, folks. Some of these changes might be permanent. To learn more, we got in touch with Dr. Elizabeth Lyons, Assistant Professor of Management at the School of Global Policy and Strategy. She's an expert on remote work and has been studying the topic for years. Who better than to ask about how workplaces have adapted over the past few months and what the future might hold?
1: This is Mark Herzberger. Today we are joined by Elizabeth Lyons. She's a assistant professor in the School of Global Policy and Strategy. Liz, welcome to the pod. How are you?
2: Good, thanks. Thanks, Mark, so much for having me.
1: And how has your experience in quarantine been these last few months?
2: Memorable, but you know, I want to first state that I am very lucky. My husband and I both still have our jobs and and no one in my family has gotten sick. And so very grateful for that. When quarantine started, my youngest daughter was three months old and my oldest, who's four, was in preschool. And of course, she's not in preschool anymore. And my now six-month-old cannot go to daycare. So... That was challenging and I remember initially talking to my, you know, other mom friends about it and we thought one week Christmas breaks from preschool are near impossible. How can we do two weeks? And then two weeks became four and then now we're on eleven. But I think just getting into that routine initially was challenging and now I think we're we're doing okay. I hear
1: you there. I mentioned <laughs> off air, I'm the father of a one-year-old and <laughs> all my wife and I do is count our blessings that we didn't have to deliver during the, yeah. uh, the pandemic. <laughs> we're so thankful that that was a year ago. Yeah. So we should establish uh, why we've invited you on. You are uh, an expert in the field of remote work, and we're going to ask you a few questions, just what we've learned the last several months and how that's going to impact the future of remote work. But why don't we hear from you in your own words? What is the history of your interest or your research in this
2: field? I did my PhD in strategic management about six and a half years ago or seven years ago. And at that time, something that was, you know, very exciting for me was the growth of global labor markets, particularly in service and the service trade. And something that had been helping facilitate this were these um, digital labor market platforms like Upwork. Um, At the time, there was several Odesk, Elance, and now there's Upwork. And this was basically like you could fully, you know, hire a workforce essentially digitally. You could hire from around the world. The work would be completed digitally. And these were, for the most part, high-skilled tasks and services. Um, And so I began studying that. And initially, what really interested me was the international nature of these platforms that you'd be hiring a very diverse workforce, that you weren't constrained geographically in any kind of way. And over time, as I learned more and more, what became clear was that big challenge and opportunity maybe with these platforms was managing remote workforces. And that sort of brought up a lot of interesting questions that we didn't know much about. How do you monitor remotely? How do workers identify with the manager remotely? We know that trust is harder to develop remotely. So how does teamwork function in those circumstances? And so from there, I moved on to, you know, more traditional Um, labor settings, you know, non-digital hiring, but still settings where workers were remote. And I began studying those types of settings. And again, these questions about monitoring, training, incentives.
1: We'll stipulate these uh, answers are your opinion and based on your research, do not construe this as IT services policy or UC (laughs) San Diego policy. We will get that from our management when the time comes. So you let me know beforehand that you weren't actually teaching spring quarter, but you are a member of the Curriculum Innovation Committee. So you've been hearing uh, feedback from the faculty. What have you been hearing about their experience with the shift to uh, remote teaching for spring quarter?
2: As of yet, it's been largely anecdotal. We are implementing kind of widespread representative surveys, but up to this point, it's been anecdotal. And it's been kind of mixed. So faculty are noticing some nice things about remote. I've heard a few faculty say that they feel the participation is more representative, that students are using the hand tool and commenting more, that there aren't these like very dominant personalities as much, Um, and so that was kind of a nice thing about the remote setting. And the other thing I've heard from faculty and students in particular that they really like is the option to kind of rewind lectures. And students have found this particularly helpful in coding classes or like math classes where they're trying to replicate what the professor is doing in real time and having the option to just go back, pause, do it. And a lot of students have told me they really appreciate that. So I think they're, especially in like the computer programming or stats classes, the remote, it has that big advantage. I mean, there are obviously challenges, especially given how quickly faculty had to get remote. Basically, faculty said they felt like it was prepping a course anew. So even for faculty who had been teaching a course for 10 years or something, it was like doing it all over again for the first time, especially the first two weeks. I think faculty hit a groove and I, you know, given the the podcast I'm on, I've heard, of course, that that would have been impossible without IT services and we're all just made even more aware of how grateful we are. I think that going into fall, something that we want to become better at is using the features of Zoom, like really being on top of how to do the breakout rooms, how to do the whiteboard functions. I think we see the value in those and those faculty who were able to implement those things this quarter really liked them. And so we want to be able to get better at that. I think it's a matter of practice, and I expect we'll get there. And the other thing I heard from students is they felt that faculty who did have a reasonable expectation of student attendance in real time ended up with a better classroom experience. So faculty who were more lax about actually being there in real time, students felt that they got a worse experience out of that. Obviously, we're limited because people are all over the world, and and time zones limit who can participate, but I did hear that some expectation that you show up in real time seems to make the class culture stronger.
1: Based on what we've learned this quarter, how might remote teaching be more prevalent in the future, pandemic or otherwise?
2: Yeah, so I think that's a big thing we're trying to do with the Curriculum Innovation Committee. Of course, we want to think about fall. That's the most pressing need. Um, We want to be very ready Um, to give the students the best possible learning experience but we also want to think about how we can take what we're learning now to better learning experiences in the long run which i think is what you're suggesting this possibility of maybe increasing how often we record lectures some faculty do podcast their lectures even before this but this allowing students to kind of rewind lectures fast forward lectures particularly students who might have different learning needs I think that might be beneficial. And then thinking about like what, really systematically, what are students losing from the remote nature? And then what parts of the learning environment is not less good remote? I think that's something we're trying to think really hard about. We're a professional school, the networking aspect of being at the school, the face time with faculty, getting to really know your colleagues, the panels with, you know, community members, We think that that's really important and that can't be perfectly replicated remotely and probably never will be. But maybe there are some things that we can do remote that would complement the learning environment or maybe extend the learning period into summer potentially. We don't really have good answers yet, but we are really trying to study them.
1: What what was that like for you just as a chance to start observing maybe the ultimate (laughs) sample uh, months ago?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, initially I was like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. But then I was like, this is not representative of remote work in general. You know, like that hit me really hard when I realized I was getting almost no work done. Not because I'm not motivated, but just because I have two kids, that's not the normal condition of remote work. You know, we're a bit limited in what we can learn about real remote work life. And I think the speed with which employers move workers to remote also limits what we can learn. Similar to the spring quarter, if you did this by choice, you would invest a lot more into preparation. However, I still think there's things to learn. And the first is that a lot of jobs can be done remotely. So um, people are continuing to work. Work is getting done. We're learning that a lot of meetings don't have to be in person. A lot of meetings maybe don't even have to happen to begin with. I think some jobs that people thought couldn't be done from home are being done from home. But if we think about the cost savings associated with that in terms of like office space, utilities, the commute times, maybe the trade-off makes sense even in the longer run.
1: Okay, let's wrap up with one last question. I wanted to ask you, students were you know, mostly sent home abruptly as well. Yeah. And we focus on... What they're losing out on. On the flip side, how do you think they may have benefited by their own experience, you know, working and adapting remotely, especially if the future workforce is going to be more telecommute based?
2: That's such a great question. I was just telling one of my students that I know this is so hard, but you figured out how to stay engaged and learn. You know, a, a lot of us are just doing what we need to do. And as I mentioned, not developing our skills and our students figured out how to develop their skills and stay up to date on work and work with their classmates in probably places that they don't have their own office and things like that. And they're also learning what faculty are doing wrong, what TAs are doing wrong. And they're saying, I'm not going to do that as a manager, as a supervisor. So I think all that is just super valuable experience.
1: These have been great insights, uh, Dr. Lyons. Thank you
0: so much for joining us.
2: Thank you so much, Mark. It was really fun.
0: I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.